Welcome to another episode of Leaders Who Learn, presented by Claremont Lincoln University, the university that delivers socially conscious education to students dedicated to making a positive change in their worlds. This is the second podcast in our President's Series on Ethical Leadership. I'm Tony DiGiovanni, President of Claremont Lincoln University, and I'll be hosting today's session. I'm delighted to have with us today, Katie Lincoln, Chair of the Claremont Lincoln University Board of Directors, and actually my boss. Katie has an illustrious background as a corporate director for a number of organizations and was just named to Women Inc.'s 2019 list of most influential corporate directors. The magazine highlights women's achievements in business and the most influential list features top women, executives and influencers who represent corporate board leadership, diversity and excellence. Katie serves as board chair and chief investment officer for the Lincoln Institute of Land Policy, an independent global foundation focused on addressing significant policy issues through innovative land use and taxation methods. She also serves as a board member of Lincoln Electric Holdings, a $3 billion publicly traded company and Honor Health Network in Phoenix, Arizona. Katie has been instrumental in the birth and growth of Claremont Lincoln University and its mission of providing ethical leadership to the next generation of global leaders. I've been looking so forward to this interview and so pleased for our listeners to hear your thoughts on a variety of key topics facing our students as they enhance their careers with a graduate degree from CLU. Let's dig in. Katie, how are you? I'm fine, Tony, and thanks for having me today. This should be fun. Absolutely. And how's your family doing? We are doing just fine. We're all healthy and um, doing well. Harper's in Chicago, being safe uh, despite yesterday. And uh, Morgan is living here in Phoenix, working at Alliance Bank. They're doing great. Fabulous. You've been a corporate director for over 20 years. You've yes. led in the publicly held for profit world as well as a nonprofit world. That's quite an impressive resume. I wanna read you something. A 2014 poll of 650 American women who worked at nonprofits conducted by the Chronicle of Philanthropy and New York University found that 44% of those women believe their organization favored men over equally qualified women for leadership positions. What do you think of that? That's sort of sad, isn't it? Um, the good news is it's less than half thought that, but the fact that yep, anyone thought right. that anyone thought that would be um, pretty sad that that people women actually working in an environment would think that the men in their in the room were more favored. Um, you know, it's a challenge being a woman working in a man's world, and I find myself often in my role as chief investment officer of the Lincoln Institute the only woman at the table. Although increasingly, happy, happily I say this, increasingly there are younger women who are joining those ranks and getting those degrees in finance and business and coming to the table and adding that much needed diversity and viewpoint around those tables. So that's a good thing, but um, that's, it's taking a while. It's, it's tough. Uh, 
this is probably an obvious question, but if you think about gender equity in today's workforce compared to when you began your rise in the workplace, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I was denied work as I was a woman early on, right? Explicitly, flat out explicitly, I couldn't get a job because this job that I wanted because I was a woman. It was as a, a theater technician in a summer theater and they said, no, we need a man. Um, despite the fact that they, there was men on that crew that were less strong than I was, but they still wanted a man. So that you open your eyes when you have something like that, that just because you're a female, you don't get to have pursue a career. I ended up going to a woman's university for my secondary education quite explicitly because I wanted to, in the 70s, I graduated college in 1976, I really wanted the opportunity to do whatever I wanted without having men in the room, um, to have the opportunity. And this was the 70s, right? Just after the 60s, not having to wear heels and hose to school. It was just great. It was wow. just, you could, you could do what you wanted to do because there were yeah. no men in the room um, to try and impress. And so, but back to your question, um, it's, you just have to, Believe in what, in your skill and your knowledge and your ability and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you sometimes, frankly, have to not take things personally. Yeah, that's so tough. I, you know, I think of what you just said and it, it just yells separate but equal. So you had to separate, really to become equal in some sense. You had to separate so that you didn't have to, if I can say, put on an extra show uh, to be noticed. Uh, that's, that's tough, but it's still, uh, as you think of our society today, it's still so true for so many parts of our population. I, I would agree. And I think the other thing that I, that I really want to insert here is that I had really good role models. I had two grandmothers and two parents. So I'll start with my grandmother. I didn't have the opportunity to know either of my biological grandfathers. They both passed away when I was very young. So I never had a chance to know either of them. But my grandmothers, my mother's mother was in an arranged marriage at the age of 13. Oh. And then ultimately my, that when my biological grandfather passed away and she married for love after that. And Ultimately, because she'd had the kind of relationship and the kind of life with my grandfather, she really decided that after that, she was going to do whatever she darn well wanted, right? And she did. <laughs> she did. She bought this cute little red Audi convertible and bought a cute little house and lived a lovely life of a, as an independent woman, starting probably when she's my age now, probably when she was in her 60s, right? But she didn't get to do that. But all of a sudden, she knew that she could. My other grandmother was a college biology professor at the age of 23. I mean, a professor at the age of 23 and just never really understood the Equal Rights Amendment because she said, why do you need a piece of paper, Catherine, telling you that you can do anything you want? So I had generational role models, women who were very strong in very different ways, but who really helped me look inside and realize that what was what could hold me back was me it wasn't going to be anyone else but it was me that would hold me back from doing what i wanted to do you think about the 
any of us uh, in family situations. And not only having, if I can say, the parents who were number one together and number two unified in, in their desire to give, give you all the opportunity, but also a, a wonderful set of grandparents, it sounds like, or at least grandmothers. Mm-hmm. Probably more important uh, for you as a female, those grandmothers who were strong women, um, that, that's a fabulous backdrop. You know, we can say as you think about our society today, some of the issues out there uh, it are the, uh, are, are the uh, if I could say, the characteristics of the family. Do we, is it a single parent family? It, it, you know, do we have uh, good modeling going on? So all of that is important uh, in today's arena. You know, Tony, I'm a huge fan. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm a huge fan of role models. I just think that everyone has an opportunity to be a role model. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. There's someone in every single day that you can model great behavior. And whether it's truly just being kind to the takeout person who hands you your, um, you know, no touch dinner to the young student who looks to you for advice on a course that they want to take. There is no limit to the ways that any person can role model and whether it's educationally or however, but I think that every, if, if we all just thought about that more, that we are all can be role models all the time. And I think especially of some superstars, athletes, for example, who, could be really amazing role models and yet they're modeling the wrong behavior. Um, And so I think as a woman, I think that it's important for me to continue to show other younger women that it's possible. It's truly possible. You can do what you want to do in in a manner in which you want to do it. Yeah, I think that's so true. You know, it, it sort of leads me, this isn't a gender question as much as it is, um, if I can say, a Lincoln question. And, you know, I think having been together with you for now three and a half years or so, I think about the rich legacy that comes from the Lincoln family. And the, the, the legacy that are really the cornerstones of Claremont Lincoln, uh, the Claremont Lincoln University mission, ethical leadership, treating others as you would like to be treated, as you were just saying, Uh, equity, diversity. Can you give our listeners a better feel for some of the ideals that your family put into place in the early 20th century? That seems like you were well ahead and your grandfather was well ahead of many organizations, uh, even to recognize the importance of such things. Love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I went to B school, like a a lot of our listeners may or are in the pursuit of a, of a graduate degree. And, um, when I got my MBA from the college of William and Mary, great experience, great experience, but there's a very famous Harvard business school case on Lincoln electric. And my grandfather was the founder of Lincoln electric. And actually this year, Lincoln electric is celebrating its 125th year. We are founded in 1895 by my grandfather. 
And he, my grandfather and his brother James really believed that the folks who should benefit the most from the hard work of a company and from the profits were the people who were doing the hard work of that, of that company. In other words, the workers, that they should be compensated appropriately because they were the ones making the value for the shareholders and the other stakeholders. So there's a very well-known profit sharing plan at Lincoln. There's an annual bonus. Um, it used to be that the annual bonus was almost exactly the same amount as their annual compensation. It's, the formula has changed over the years, but it's still uh, a bonus that's based on performance and the integrity of the work they're doing. Uh, shareholders are certainly nicely compensated because the company continues to do well. There's also a lifetime employment guarantee so that if you're with a company for three years, you're guaranteed employment. And of course, it's based on performance. I mean, if you, if you don't perform well, then it mean, no company would have you stay on. But people who come to Lincoln Electric and perform well, um, and because of the flexible work schedule that we've implemented, they are able to either augment their hours or decrease their hours depending on demand. But even in this, even in the crisis of the financial crisis and even in these COVID times, we have not laid off any of our um, full-time employees because we, we have a lifetime employment, which we think is the right thing to do for people. That if they are hardworking and loyal for that company, then they should be guaranteed some safety nets, if you will, in terms of their employment. So my grandfather and my uncle believe that and, and it really, emanates, as you know, Tony, from the golden rule, that there is a sense that if you truly do unto others as you would have them do unto you, then the world would be a better place and that people would be kinder and gentler and more thoughtful. My father used to say that he couldn't think of a religion on the planet that didn't have some version of the golden rule embedded in its holy book whether it be Islam or Judaism or Buddhism or Hinduism or certainly Christianity. And that he felt, and the reason that he really wanted to um, put Claremont Lincoln University into being was that he wanted people to, students and scholars and, and all people from all walks of life to really learn about ethics and really learn about giving of the golden rule and that if you could embed that in people's education and embed that in the way people live their lives, people would live ethically and not just learn ethics, but learn how to be ethical. That whole grandfather to father, I think, um, is a huge legacy for me to continue to be wonderfully responsible for and to help continue to perpetuate. Absolutely. Uh, one of the reasons I'm here. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to remind our listeners that as you talked about what was done in the early 20th century uh, in Lincoln Electric, these were times when business owners, the Henry Fords of the world and organizations like, like that, uh, had six day a week work schedules, 10, 12 hour a day work schedules, and were paying their employees very little. As you think about uh, what just the innovation and the thoughtfulness of what was done at Lincoln Electric in that period of time is just uh, amazing to me. And I.E., 
the Harvard business case about profit sharing in that early 20th century uh, is, a, is a classic. Uh, and, you know, and as you say, um, every, uh, the principles in which your grandfather and then your father uh, really lived by, uh, I know motivate you today and they motivate me to be here uh, working with Claremont Lincoln University as well. You know, you lead uh, not one, but two important nonprofit organizations today. Uh, both of them are attempting to leave the world in better shape than they found it. The Lincoln Institute of Land Policy and, of course, Claremont Lincoln University. A, a two-part question for you. For those listening who don't know the Lincoln Institute, can you give us some background on your mission, on your activities, your organization? I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Uh, Lincoln Institute of Land Policy was established by my father in 1974. He had, um, my grandfather, John C., the founder of Lincoln Electric, had established the Lincoln Foundation in uh, the late 40s because he was interested in the work of Henry George, who was a political economist and had a very specific view around land taxation, uh, really evolved around social equity and fairness. And so my grandfather founded the foundation and during his life it, it funded and looked at various land issues, prob primarily property tax issues. My, my father then decided that it would, they really needed to be a place on, that was really looking at public policies related to land. And he established the Lincoln Institute of Land Policy based in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. He was looking for a place that was a great policy center, place where people would wanna come, good public transportation and urban environment. He felt those things would all be enticements to people. And we are celebrating our 75th anniversary, actually, the Lincoln Foundation, Lincoln Institute um, in 2021. But the Lincoln Institute uh, really looks at land as part of a suite of solutions. We, our tagline now is finding answers in land. So to, you know, to have the pun where everything's grounded in land, right? We, yes. We're not making any more of it. Yeah, and you have to figure out sure. the best ways to be equitable about its access and its use, both in terms of the economy, but in terms of the environment. So we spend a great deal of time thinking about land finance and left property taxation. We think a lot of spending time thinking about the nexus between land use and water policy and and we think globally. We've been working in Latin America and Asia for years, a long-standing relationship with Taiwan, um, more than a decade relationship with Peking University in Beijing, 30-year uh, time that we've spent in Latin America. We're beginning to do a lot of work in Africa. And the commonality of all of those, all those locations is the need for equitable land use and fair distribution of wealth around land. And so we work with policymakers, with government officials, with informed citizens to help figure out different uh, ways to tax land, different ways to use land, uh, different land patterns. We, we really think about using land and, and organize our work around six major sort of goals or policy areas. So for example, how does land use and water policy, that nexus, impact climate change? Or how does uh, prop property taxation 
think about um, informing fiscally healthy cities. And so we work in ways thinking about how land is a tool, a piece of a suite of policy things, policy issues that can help policymakers make better decisions about infrastructure and financing and planning and all of those things. That's, that's extremely interesting. And, and a great intersection is beginning to take place between the Lincoln Institute and Claremont Lincoln University, uh, as you yes. know, Katie. And we're very excited about this. <laughs> and and we're excited as well as we have just now received approval to move ahead with our master's in public administration. Uh, which has uh, concentrations in urban planning and things of that nature, sustainability. Uh, when you think of land use today, it, it even has a more urgent uh, need out there as we think about climate change and water rise and so on and so forth. It's, it's absolutely amazing to think that within our lifetimes, we could lose some cities or we could lose some areas to uh, water rise and uh, being being beneath the surface, so to speak, in, in some sense, uh, you know, if you think of New Orleans or Miami or places right here in the United States that are going to be threatened within the next 20 to 30 years, I think your institution is an important uh, thought leader in that environment. You know, if, if we step back and, and the second question I had for you is a little more reflective one. Uh, you may have answered some of it already, and that is these two organizations. Why LILP, uh, Lincoln Institute, and why Claremont Lincoln University? If you were thinking about, you know, your, your thoughts around that, and, and ostensibly your father's thoughts as well, as, as the two of you have been so instrumental in leading these organizations. Why those two entities in today's world? Well, that to me also is a, a two-part answer. So um, I alluded earlier to role models in my life. And for anyone who knows me or knows Claremont Lincoln or knows Lincoln Institute of Land Policy knows how important my father was to me. and what a great boss he was in my life, that he afforded me the opportunity as a woman to undertake great challenges and was gracious in both his mentoring and especially gracious in his own personal relinquishment of the roles that he ultimately wanted me to have. Um, I'm only hopeful that if I have that opportunity, um, either with a family member or with any of my successors in these roles, that I'm as gracious in terms of handing over the reins and handing over the responsibility and helping teach and guide if, in fact, it is someone in the family, a younger generation who takes over any of these roles to help them learn by doing. So I, I have to say that about my father. and. Um, and so part of what I'm doing at Lincoln Institute, I've been doing for years. I've been doing this for 20 some odd years. So it's, um, I grew into the chief investment officer job and now I really enjoy it. It's something that I 
I'm good at and I enjoy the work and I enjoy the people. I generally enjoy the travel. I've been housebound now for five and a half months and going a little stir crazy, but um, I generally enjoy the travel, both domestic and international. So, and I enjoy knowing that the work that I do in terms of creating and building that portfolio, that money, those funds are going to further really important work on this planet that you know, alleviating poverty and finding social equity and um, finding better tax regimes and creating better infrastructure. Those are all so important. So that if I'm in some small way instrumental in getting that work done, that's, that's really a good feeling. And that makes me work harder. Um, and similarly with Claremont Lincoln, if as I can help manage this organization with you as my partner here um, to to really have folks understand this mission, whether it's in a mission in a university, whether it's in a mission in this podcast, however we express our work into the world, if we can continue to get this work out there, that's really satisfying in a way that, like I said, I think role modeling is so important. And if we can continue to create this giant role model for folks to really see that this is a great way to educate folks, to have people be educated in a, in a as we say, in the core with all of those wonderful attributes that we're teaching, that's really satisfying. I suppose the second part, maybe the second, first and a half part is, you know, my father asked me to do this he asked me mm -hmm. to, to take these two roles. And I, it, I don't think either one was an immediate yes, but when someone that important to you in your life, who meant that much to you, who you looked up to so much, who asked you to continue on and to help develop and refine his legacy, it's, it's ultimately a wonderfully blessed responsibility that I have to him to his legacy and to this family to be able to continue to do that. Boy. I suppose the other piece of the answer is that both of these organizations are so important to the globe right now in terms of getting along, in terms of what we're facing in this country, in terms of social equity and racial equity, in terms of what the world is facing, needing in terms of land use and land related policies. Both are so important right now that it's really important to continue digging in and doing this good work. Absolutely, I think um, we support that. Uh, we hopefully live it every day at Claremont Lincoln University uh, and we're absolutely in agreement. You have a very passionate crew, uh, I know at the university and from the number of times that I've been able to get together with the with the team at the Lincoln Institute uh, there also. So that's, that's important. You know, this is a series and especially what I'm doing in our podcast here, it's a series about leadership, uh, ethical leadership. You know, as you know, at Claremont Lincoln, the masters in organizational leadership is our largest and, and fastest growing degree program. You know, we provide the skill sets needed for the emerging leaders, but we also wrap around our students, as you mentioned in the last uh, question, uh, the Claremont core. And, and that really is our distinction. We, we 
introduce students to the concepts of mindfulness and, and self-reflection and really being able to look inside yourself uh, and have a good understanding and then be able to sit with uh, individuals, maybe not like-minded, maybe of, on the other side of uh, the aisle, so to speak, and engage in dialogue and together be able to help uh, to change the world. Uh, and change that, changing that world through ethical leadership that hopefully our students are practicing day in and day out. How do you think about ethical leadership in your management practice? How do you bring that belief and that practice in, into, into your organizations? You know, there's a couple, I know one of these is gonna sound really trite and so just bear with me on that. But, you know, there is no I in team. And, and I just firmly believe that, that we're all stronger together and disparate ideas make, make, the, make the end result even stronger. As when I'm building boards of directors, which I do, I find that I don't want a homogeneic board at all. I want a rich, tapestry of ideas and uh, um, experience and skin tone and religious belief and political belief and life experience and education and because i know that at the end of the day i will not agree with everyone at that table on everything if i did we would not be moving any organization that i build forward at all we'd be a standstill which means we'd be moving backwards so i think that you need to have a richness at a table, whether it's your staff team leadership table or your board team leadership table, and that everyone can leave to some degree that ego at the door and really understand that it's time to work as a team. And I think as a leader, it's important for me especially to do that as well. I, I think that it's important as a leader to be open to new ideas to not make sure that your way, it's your way or the highway, because then you will not ultimately have a set of folks who are willing to sit down and be open and honest and share if they know that it doesn't matter. I think it's important to be an active listener, to not, again, to make sure that you have the opportunity to hear what other people are saying and respond to what people are saying in an open and honest way. But mostly I think I think it's important as an ethical leader to be kind. Mm -hmm. I think to be generous of spirit, to give people grace, to understand that no one's perfect, but that to have the trust that your folks that are working with you and for you are working to the best effort. You know, no one gets up in the morning and says, gosh, I'm only gonna make bad decisions today. <laughs> no one does that. So right. we need, you need space in leadership to be kind. Those are beautiful thoughts. Um, and wouldn't it be interesting if we all ran our organizations with those beliefs? Uh, we'd have a different world. I'd probably be remiss if I didn't ask you about 2020. 
you know, do we have a, to talk about 2020? <laughs> we have to at least touch on it. Okay. Well, will we go back to normal? What do you think no. normal will no. be? What a year so far. And it's only August or uh, it's only August. And, yeah. and we're not done yet with 2020. We're not done yet. We have a recession that will be, that we will lumber out of. We will not, we will not, this will not be an easy one to extricate ourselves from. It's going to be a little more systemic, I even think, than the financial crisis. Um, lumber is a very descriptive word. Yeah, we have, uh, we have the election, which will be front and center now starting here any minute once people once the once the conventions happen and we get to be full blown into the milieu of um, political advertising and that will just be nonstop and the constant misinformation about misinformation right so you're never going to be quite sure what you're listening to is accurate we of course we have this devastating pandemic and and the unintended consequences of this devastating pandemic which are all of us basically being sheltered and the loss of this human texture in our lives that right that we don't that you and I are doing this you're in California I'm in Arizona and in the best of all possible worlds you and I would be sitting across with either a cup of coffee or a really good glass of red wine mm -hmm. and having the same conversation and we can't do that um, so 2020 has been thus far a challenge, right? Just for humans, just for humankind. And the question of is what's normal? I, I think that, I think that the gem. I've classified this world, Tony, as sort of like I'm trying to walk through Jello, right? Yeah, it's yes. stiff, but it's not stiff, and it doesn't move, and it's sort of sticky, and you can sort of get rid of it, but not really, and and because there is no end. There is no, no one's able to say to us in six months, we will be X, right? Or in eight months or in 10 months. So oh, that's right. there's the constant, when will it be over? And over will not be what it looked like last August. We will not have the same freedoms in the sense of there will still be concerns about travel. There'll be concerns about contagion. There'll be new work orders in the same in the sense that commercial real estate's going to look differently than it does than it did a year ago yes they're going right. to be many companies that will say employees if you want to stay home or maybe even mandated to stay home because it's it's much more efficient in terms of it you know renting expensive real estate so i think that we'll slowly get back to travel we'll slowly begin to open things up in terms of business but it's it's going to take a while and and we're there's always going to be a what's next in terms of the next pandemic or the next illness i think i hope that we're learning from this one and that we might be better prepared but i don't think normal is what we had a year ago i think it's something new and different that we're not quite sure yet how to define do you know um at Claremont Lincoln University, we were fortunate um, to be organized as an online graduate university. And that has really 
really been helpful as as we have gone into this unfortunate societal situation. Uh, but in some small sense, and everything that that you have mentioned about Claremont Lincoln and some of the work that we're trying to do here uh, to build leaders of the future, I think really uh, we're in a very good spot uh, as as we do try to translate into a new normal, whatever that might be. And I think with with the skills and the online skills specifically that our students learn uh, out of an online graduate institution, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that those will be skills that will come in very handy and be very apropos to whatever that new normal is. So uh, I, I'm pleased to have Claremont Lincoln at the forefront of some of this change and, and where we're going from a societal standpoint. And Katie, you, I, I just You know, want Tony, I'm gonna to add one more thing. I'm interrupting you and I apologize no, that's for that. Okay. But I, I think the, one, the, the other thing I would say about leadership now going forward is along with kindness, I think that we all have to be flexible. Mm -hmm. I think that we're gonna have, we are, there are folks in my office here in Phoenix who um, are, we have a whole spectrum of folks who are, you know, feeling comfortable going out with masks. We're all doing masks, but more comfortable. We have some who are not comfortable at all still. They might have health issues or they, they just aren't as comfortable. And I think as leaders, you have to be okay with that because we don't know what this new paradigm is going to look like. And you, and to either mandate one direction or the other, in other words, everyone stays home or everyone comes to the office, I don't think that that's going to be the kind of leadership that's necessary. I think we're gonna to have to understand, um, and we might've understood this in another five to 10 years, the different ways that people work. Some people work perfectly fine from home in their yoga pants and other people really want to come to the office and be at the water cooler. Both add value, both have integrity, but we're gonna to have to find ways that we can let our workforce be that flexible and support that and celebrate the flexibility in our workforce. Until next time, this is Tony DiGiovanni and Claremont Lincoln University, helping shine the light on ethical leadership throughout our communities. Come visit us at www claremontlincoln.edu.